0: Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: Live from GPB News, this is Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. The government shutdown continues as two bills in the U.S. Senate fail to break the standoff between Republicans and Democrats. After voting yes for both the GOP and Democratic bills, George's Johnny Isaacson makes an impassioned plea for a bipartisan solution. It's time we put the good workers in our
2: government back to work. It's time we were doing what we promised the people in the United States of America to do, and it's fine we went to work, because when everybody's out of work, it's our fault.
1: Closer to home, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan wades into a thorny thicket, suggesting he supports expansion of state subsidies for private schools. Jim Galloway writes that Republican legislators are being told to hold off on fighting for controversial measures like a religious liberty bill until after the Super Bowl leaves town. But what then? We'll look at what's ahead for the legislature. First, the news. A Georgia senator crosses party lines to push for the reopening of the federal government. Georgia's new lieutenant governor promotes more money for the state's private schools. The legislature braces for debate on divisive bills once the Super Bowl leaves town. This is Political Rewind. Hi, I'm Bill Nygut. Thank you so much for uh, being here for Political Rewind. Let me tell you right away. We are flying by the seat of our pants in real time on this show today. If you are watching us on our Facebook live stream, as so many of you do, uh, it is just a little after two o'clock on Friday afternoon. We are waiting for President to uh, walk into the Rose Garden and presumably, according to most of the news reports we're hearing, say that there has been a deal to extend the continuing resolution for three weeks. In other words, put the government back in business uh, while the uh, Congress and the White House continue to try to work out what they're going to do about funding uh, for uh, Trump's wall or other security measures, uh, if you're watching us live on Friday night or you're watching us, uh, our show on Friday night on GPB-TV, you already know more than we do. You'll watch it unfold in real time on our tape broadcast as well. All right. That said— Uh, Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is here to help me with all this time-shifting. Welcome, Mr.
0: Galloway. It's great to be here. The one thing we can talk about that won't change is how this break happened. So we could, we've got plenty to talk about. And we we have tons to talk about,
1: for sure. And the news today has been uh, extraordinary. Also with us, of course, Republican Loretta Lapore. She was uh, Governor Sonny Perdue's press secretary back right. when he was uh, in his first term in office. Went on to be the co-chair of Carly Fiorina's presidential campaign right. here in Georgia. And now... You work primarily on public policy issues uh, at the Capitol.
3: I do, on the state level primarily. Right. Good to be here on a busy Friday.
1: Always (laughs) great to have you on Fridays. We're welcoming to the show for the first time Bob Barr. Bob, we could go through a lot of your credentials. You were a a U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Georgia back in the mid-'80s, right? Got the time frame, basically. Late-'80s, but late '80s. who's counting? (laughs) (laughs) You served... As the congressman in the seventh district of Georgia from 1995 to 2003, you were the Libertarian Party candidate for president in 2008, and partly pertinent—all of that is pertinent to our conversation. But you also had a credential that we're going to get into a little bit later in the show. You were one of the managers in the how in the uh, uh, impeachment. Of uh, Bill Clinton. We're going to talk to you a little bit about that. 20
4: 20 years
1: ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. Thank you for being here, Bob. It's it's great to have you here. Uh, Michael Owens, the chairman of the Cobb County Democratic Party, is with us just off a plane from the Midwest and raced over here. We we love your commitment. Without breaking a
5: sweat. Wheel's down. I'm I'm on the way to the (laughs) studio.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Of course. All right. We are waiting to see what happens when President Trump comes into the Rose Garden. I can tell you uh, that uh, his team is already gathered. Uh, uh, Sonny Perdue, your former boss, we see is waiting in the Rose Garden. Kirsten Nielsen is there as well. Uh, uh, Jared Kushner is there. They're all waiting to hear whether, in fact, there's a deal. And we'll bring it to you as it unfolds. All right. Jim Galloway, the One of the things that people are suggesting may have finally pushed everybody to do something here was a remarkable event that unfolded this morning at a number of airports in the United States. LaGuardia Airport, because they did not have enough air traffic controllers, uh, actually had a hold on planes. They could not take off and land planes at LaGuardia for a period of time. Philadelphia, Newark had to slow down their traffic. And apparently, Hartsfield had delays of up to an hour to an hour and a half for at least a period of time this morning for the same reasons.
0: All right, this makes sense if you think about it. Okay, as we tape this Friday, uh, you have 800,000 federal workers missing a second paycheck. Uh, They're on on a two week pay period. Okay, All right. If you are going to miss a day of work for which you're not going to be paid, what day are you going to pick? You're going to pick Friday and you're going to make it a long weekend. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what that's what happened. The other factor here is what happened in the U.S. Senate on Thursday. Uh, We had two votes. One one for Donald Trump's package, one for a Democratic package. But I think the real action happened before those votes, when you had a a, a Senate Republican caucus meeting in which the 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 senators pretty much revolted uh, against uh, uh, Mike Pence's yeah. vice president. Re-
1: Republican senators in the Republican conference who Pence came to talk to said, "Get your act together." And
0: one of them was Johnny <laughs> Isaacson.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bob, the other thing we learned this morning is that up to uh, maybe 15,000 IRS workers decided not to go to work today. So when you start interfering with people's ability to fly in and out of major airports, when you suggest to people that their tax returns and, uh, may not be getting back to them in a timely fashion, that's where the real pressure and all this starts to build—
4: It is. it is. It's a perfect storm, you know, to use a a hackneyed cliche, Uh, but it is. All of these things have come together. They could sort of paper over them for a couple or three weeks and not really notice, or people wouldn't really notice out in the real world, aside from those who are directly affected by not receiving their pay. But uh, now it's gone on so long that you cannot ignore, you cannot paper over those real jobs that are being affected, such as air traffic controllers, and if there's one group of people in the federal government that you do want there uh, working and paying attention to what they're doing, it's the air traffic controllers, and when you don't have that, it can bring, have a cascading effect and all sorts of problems then follow, and that's, that's where we are.
1: So, Loretta, we have the two votes. What's interesting is the Republican vote essentially was about giving Trump what he asked for with some of these so-called trade-offs, compromises that he made. It failed. Uh, What's interesting is the Democratic uh, measure, which would get the government back to work temporarily and then give time to continue negotiations on uh, border issues, it failed as well, but it got more votes than the Republican bill, and one of the people who voted for both bills— WAS JOHNNY ISAACSON. THAT'S
3: RIGHT. WELL, HE'S BEEN INCREASINGLY MORE AND MORE VOCAL ABOUT THE SHUTDOWN AND THE IMPACT THAT IT'S HAVING ON NOT ONLY THE FEDERAL WORKERS, BUT THE RIPPLE EFFECTS THAT THAT IS HAVING THROUGHOUT OUR ECONOMY AND ACROSS AMERICA. AND SO um, I THINK AT THE MENTION THE the CONFERENCE MEETING THAT JIM MENTIONED, um, YOU KNOW, HE ESSENTIALLY WHAT HE SAID ON THE FLOOR OF THE SENATE YESTERDAY, REMINDING PEOPLE OF THE HISTORY OF SHUTDOWNS AND THE FACT THAT FEW OF THEM HAVE EVER YIELDED ANY REAL POSITIVE results. He apparently gave similar remarks within the conference, not knowing that that the vice president was going to be in attendance that yesterday. Um, And so I think the vice president probably took that back at the same time. We saw sort of a break in the House yesterday where we saw about 30 lawmakers, Democrats, write a letter to Nancy Pelosi Mm -hmm. um, saying, like, look, we've got to do something. Let's give the president the opportunity um, to debate the wall to debate funding um, for for border security. Let's give that guarantee at a minimum and get the government open. So you're seeing breaks in in both parties where people are wanting the government open.
0: You had uh, you you had Jim Clyburn, uh, the South, South Carolina yeah, de- Democrat, start talking about what was it? What was his phrase, uh, 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 my, Michael? He wants it was a, was a smart fit a wall. Smart fit, Smart yes. wall. Smart wall. <laughs> yes. That's what it was. Yeah. Well,
3: yeah. and it's interesting to note that Lucy McBath was one of the Congress members that signed on to that letter to, to Nancy She was
0: also
1: went over to the Senate with a handful. John Lewis was one of the other Democrats, went over to the Senate to watch the vote and see if they could be <laughs> persuasive with any of their Democratic uh, colleagues from across the way.
5: Yeah. You know, I you know, I really want to bring this back just for a quick second about, um, I know Congressman Barr mentioned about the air traffic controllers, I think, and as this kind of, you know, lingers on, and as you said, I just came back from the airport. I've, I've flown a couple of times this week already. Um and what comes to top of my mind is the TSA agents right um, these are these are workers that don't make nowhere near the salary that an uh, air traffic controller does, and a lot of these people are, are living paycheck to paycheck and Now, as you go into the second week, um, I think the report just came out that uh, I think over the past week they were last Friday, ten uh, percent called out sick. Um, Make it a long weekend, or are you going to try to start picking up shifts somewhere else and finding something else to do? It, it, it's imperative, you know, that that we think about the people who are heavily impacted by this, not just from the standpoint of a shutdown, but a standpoint of being able to put food on the table.
1: So, Michael, uh, Johnny Isaacson's up uh, from up your way. He's a Cobb County Republican, uh, and and his the way he's positioned himself on this. Uh, is, is I think one of the reasons he, he's so hard to beat. Uh, let's let's watch and listen to Isaacson's remarks on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Again, he was one of I think five Republicans who voted for the Democratic bill: Romney, Murkowski, Lamar Alexander, Susan Collins, uh, Cory Gardner. So a half dozen. Cory Gardner is the one that surprised me.
4: That uh, the other the others, I, I, based on what they've said and their positions on other issues, but. Cory Gardner, I think, is going to face a real tough reelect in Colorado, and I think he was feeling the heat. I think that was a, a real signal to the administration.
1: Absolutely. Why don't we do this? Why don't we, uh, it, and it's worth playing out his entire remarks. They're not that long. They're about a minute, 45 seconds or so. Here's Johnny Isaacson on the floor of the U.S. Senate.
2: All Democrats and Republicans pay close attention. I've been here 20 years. I've seen a lot of shutdowns, about five of them. I want to talk about what they produced. The first one under Bill Clinton produced Monica Lewinsky. That's how they got in all the trouble because she was an intern in the White House and idle hands are never good. For us, Newt Gingrich lost his job in the same shutdown. He lost his job because he lost six votes and the House, couldn't get re-elected Speaker. I had to replace him and I'm kind of glad that happened, but that's still not a good result and not a good reason to have a shutdown. A few years later, great senators, John McCain being one of them, Ted Kennedy being another, worked their fingers to the bone and came up with a great immigration bill, which I was a part of in my first term in the Senate. And we got castigated and ruined because all of a sudden amnesty became a four letter word and political consultants found it an easy way to run against people in the party. And so for 20 years, 15 years, we've been beating each other over something that ought to be easy to do. And that's changed for the better. You know, a lot of people think Congress's job is to come to Washington and change things for the better. When it comes to immigration, all we ever change is the subject. We never end the debate, we never pass a result, and oftentimes we call each other names for the wrong reason. I'm here for one reason, to thank the colleagues that are on the floor here, and all those others who are ready to do some business. I'm ready to do some business. It's time we put the good workers in our government back to work. It's time we were doing what we promised the people in the United States of America to do, and it's fine we went to work. Because when everybody's out of work, it's our fault. They're, they're the people that carry the mail, empty the garbage, cook in the cafeteria, clean up the parks, do everything they do it without complaint whatsoever. But they're out there, many of them, not even being paid right now while we're sitting here debating a subject that we can't reach a solution on, period. We need to take our armor off, leave our weapons at the door, walk in the room, shake hands, grab Ben Cardin's hand, say, Ben, thank you for making an effort as a Democrat. Lisa, thank you as a Republican for supporting it. And let's sit down, let's pass a bill that we can both agree on that gets Americans back to work and restores the spirit of Ellis Island and the proud of the United States of America.
1: And Jim, uh, Senator Isaacson has been part
0: of the bipartisan group hoping to find some breakthrough. Right, right, but, but but if if you listen carefully, you, there there were two protests in that speech, in that single speech. Number one it was was the impasse over, over the federal shutdown was one, but but he was also re- criticizing his fellow Republicans for making immigration kind of a a a, a weapon a weapon to, to to hurt other Republicans in primaries uh that uh, uh he was pointing specifically to the 2007 impasse that that got saxby Shambles booed with, kind of contribute com, uh, contributed to saxby's uh, ascension
1: republican convention.
0: exactly exactly it is uh it's it's immigration has become the way you uh, anti anti immigration is is the way is the position you take it when you want to win to win a republican primary
1: bob you were up there in a, in a highly charged atmosphere during the latter years, especially of your tenure. Well, no, actually, throughout the whole thing, from the time of the Gingrich well, Revolution. We, we had the very first so-called forward.
4: shutdown, my first year exactly, in Congress. Exactly,
1: exactly. Um, when you hear Isaacson and his remarks uh, on this, how does it resonate with you?
4: It, it reminds me, Bill, how bad things have gotten up there yes during the, the the early years of the republican majority in the in the mid and then the late 90s there were some tensions shall, shall we say for a couple of years but then things settled down uh for a while everybody didn't go, get along uh you know kumbaya but we got things done i mean heck we had a balanced budget we got uh, a, a year after the year and a half after the uh, so-called shutdown we balanced the budget uh, reformed welfare cut taxes we got things done the atmosphere up there uh, today is so toxic, it makes those days look like kumbaya in comparison. Uh, it's just awful. What uh, Johnny is saying uh, is absolutely correct. Immigration has become sort of the third rail of politics uh, in this uh, the early part of the 21st century. It needn't be, and hopefully some lessons that will be learned from this experience will open up things so that actual dialogue
0: and agreements can start taking place. If I can interrupt here, I just got a text from my FEMA daughter in D.C. (laughs) saying, hooray, I'm going back to work on Monday. We hope so. The
1: president, uh, again... Uh, we're t- watching this in real time on Friday afternoon. The president has just uh, stepped into the Rose Garden and is beginning his remarks. First thing he's doing is thanking all the federal workers who've stayed on the job. Loretti got a lot of criticism, and so did others in the administration for not being uh, as outwardly sympathetic as sensitive to the problems they were all facing. Uh, so he's starting his remarks. Uh, uh, On that note, but he is saying there's going to be a three-week extension of the continuing resolution uh, so we can get the government back to work and uh, uh, continue working on the wall that he wants.
3: Well, I don't think he's going to drop that. Yeah. I don't. I mean, he's not going to he's not going to drop border security and some kind of physical parameter um, as part of his ask. Um, but I think that to the conversation that we've just had, the pressure was mounting, and and people's livelihoods and their families were at stake, um, and so it had to be open. There were also some very very high profile um, Republicans uh, this week that were weighing in in different ways with Jerry Kushner. So the Koch you know brothers, they have a foundation or an organization um, that's really advocating for allowing the Dreamers permanent status here. And so those folks were meeting with Jared Kushner this week, and Jared Kushner agreed that he would have a conversation with the president. Um, so we've seen it coming to uh, back to the White House in a whole lot of ways. And so hopefully now we will have, um, to Congressman Bob Barr's point, some kumbaya.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe
3: not to that to, level, but maybe some kumbaya where they can have some conversation. To that point, Michael,
1: to that point, the president just said that the debates over the last 30-plus days have been Spirited is the word that he used. And then he went on to say that Republicans and Democrats have shown that they want to come together and work in a bipartisan way to find a solution to all of this. What an extraordinary what an idea, right? change of tone. I was,
5: think, go ahead. I, I think you heard that some with, with um Senator Isakson's remarks. And I think when he said the spirit of Ellis Island, right, bring me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. He, he says that specifically on purpose because immigration is a third rail of this. And he understands that a pathway to getting this solved um, is, is through immigration and understanding. So when Republicans start to kind of come together around this and go, you know what, this is. This this is not just a carrot. It's actually a a part and parcel of the solution that we have to have in place. So, you know, a continued resolution to kind of get the government back up and working um, is obviously a direction we have to go, but it's not going to be far from what we have to do with immigration.
1: Let's, uh, you're uh, hoping, as a leader of the state Democratic Party, to be able to uh, take. Senator David Perdue in the 2020 elections. We just heard what Johnny Isaacson said on the floor of the Senate yesterday. Let's uh, 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 take a look at what David Perdue had to say. Many of us fought to keep the Senate in session last August to avoid this funding situation in the first place. President Trump has tried to reopen negotiations with a reasonable proposal that not only fully funds the federal government, but also addresses critical border security and disaster relief. And I think there's a little more. It's unacceptable that Senate Democrats continue to reject every opportunity to compromise in good faith. In the real world, both sides have to negotiate to find a solution. It's time to work together to tackle these national priorities. Yeah, Michael, there's, Purdue is lockstep. With President Trump, and he will be through that election in 2020. Which is what gives
5: us a solid chance for the Democratic Party to pick up <laughs> a, a, a Senate seat in 2020. Um, you know, it, it starts with um, Senator Perdue, you know, getting out of lockstep with the president. He talks about, um, you know, having negotiations in good faith. Well, it's, that starts with talking about facts, right, and not manufactured crisis. And, you know, if we would want to talk about border security, let's talk about border security, but let's talk about comprehensive, smart border security that just does not focused on several people to the south of this border um, where we're proposing a campaign promise that that still he's trying to hold on to um, Democrats are from the beginning and continue to say that we support border security we're not for open borders uh, we're not for just letting anyone come in but we're also not for you know again manufacturing crisis and creating you know that this 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 issue um, that that we're all unsafe somehow because you know immigration is lower now than it's you been know, in a decade or more. Uh,
1: uh, Michael it's uh, Bob, you know what? I've been saying on this show for a couple of weeks now that Democrats haven't been saying uh, in, in, a, in articulate ways the kind of thing that Michael's saying right now. I think Democrats have let the Republicans get away with saying Democrats are for open borders. Uh, when Nancy Pelosi says we don't want to build a wall because it's a moral issue, uh, that doesn't tell people anything. It's only now when you've got a Clyburn saying, I'm for smart a smart wall, I'm for added security measures, that we're beginning, I think, to hear an argument from Democrats that really does resonate, even though, uh, Paul, show most Americans blame Trump for the shutdown.
4: I think, I think the Democratic Party nationally is being ill-served by Pelosi and Schumer.
1: Uh, even Schu- after the way Pelosi stood Trump down on the state of the Union oh address those, those, and-
4: that's a sideshow those 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 are e those are silly I'm talking about some real substance okay. here uh, Trump is a negotiator one may not like his style one may not like how he does things or what he says I certainly don't uh, but he is a skilled negotiator so is Chuck Schumer I mean, heck they're both from New York City they're they're both political leaders and, and, and trained negotiators. It mystifies me how at the beginning of this, back in December, when Pelosi and I guess Pence was just kind of sitting there like he does, and then you had <laughs> Trump and uh, <laughs> Schumer, you know, they had an opportunity to actually start negotiating. The Democrats, I think, could have gotten all sorts of goodies from Trump if they had just negotiated. But for some reason, they have allowed themselves to fall into the trap of making it so personal that it, that it blocked their ability or their willingness to do some things for their party that they could have done. They, let it, they have let an, uh, a tremendous uh, opportunity slip by by falling into the trap of taking Trump's bait of making it personal.
0: Um, to, to Michael's comments here on 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 immigration, uh, I think we're going to find out very quickly uh, if if this February fourteenth deadline, which is the new deadline for mm. for 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 a continuing resolution to keep the government open, is is going to result in another crisis. Because if if uh, to 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 Isaacson's point on 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 immigration as a third rail, what you've got is. Uh, this this happened last February, ex- almost exactly a year ago, where we had a deal on the table, but there is a there is a, a, a an, an immigration wing in the White House led by Stephen Miller, mm-hmm. uh, it's that that uh, that pretty much deep sixed that that uh, agreement. The question is. Does he still have influence over Trump in that manner? And remember that Miller is closely connected to both U.S. senators Tom Cotton and David Perdue in an immigration reform movement. So, will will David Perdue back off some of some of those asks that he's made in that in that movement? Loretta, let's do a
1: little history lesson, though. Okay. You know, it, it is fair to say, as Johnny Isaacson suggested in his remarks that he wishes Republicans wouldn't have uh, seized on immigration and politicized it uh, against Democrats. It was George W. Bush, Republican President George W. Bush, who offered one of the most sweeping and comprehensive immigration reform plans that has ever been introduced since we've been dealing with this problem. It's what led to Saxby Chambliss being booed at the Georgia State Republican Party convention. But... Republicans have, in the past, there have been Republicans who've shown vision on this question.
3: Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, President Bush was a border governor um, of Texas, mm-hmm. so so that was something that was, in, in real practical terms, something he was wholly aware of, and he tried to reach across party lines to find some support on the other side, and I, in his book, when he left office that he wrote, he talks about this, and one of the things that he says is he wished he had just chose better timing of when he put that initiative forward because he thought it could have gotten more ground if he had introduced it at a different time in his term yeah. um, and and so and that is always an issue timing is always an issue I think what Senator Isaacson said and and I think that Senator Isaacson is part of a generation um, that it was in Congress and is still in Congress in fewer numbers and that Congressman Barr was a part of where you were statesmen. and you had an obligation to your constituents in your home district but you also had an obligation to your country mm-hmm. And we see because of what he referenced as political consultants constantly catering to whatever the base of a member's core constituency is. And that's divided us. That's that's pulled us apart. My grandfather came to this country through Ellis Island in the early 20th century. He knew exactly what the rules of immigration were. They were spelled out. He knew he had to speak a certain amount of English when he got on on the ground. He knew he had to talk to those customs agents in English. He knew he had to have somebody here to receive Mm. him. And that's what needs to happen. There's no reason that our country and our our legal immigration system can't work. Um, So... So that's my little soapbox. Good. No, I like
1: (laughs) that. I like that. My my grandparents came here from Hungary and came through Ellis Island. Michael, one of the things that President Trump said—I'll get your response to this—is, "quote, I'm very proud to announce today we've reached a deal to end the shutdown and reopen the federal government." He went on to say, "I have a very powerful alternative, but I didn't want to use it at this time, holding out clearly the the threat." that he could declare a national emergency if he still can't get his money three weeks from now and and
5: take the money to build the wall the way he wants to. So, you know, we're talking about making compelling arguments, and I think Congressman Barr was, was right to a certain extent, um, when I, I do believe the Democrats had an opportunity, although, you know, Trump kind of put his foot in his mouth very early on when he said, this is my shutdown, I'll own it, and I'm, and I'm proud of it and all the like, But but I think Democrats could have had more of a constructive argument from the beginning, yeah. um, as, as far as creating a solution, right? Putting a solution out there because uh, it, it helps beat back that narrative, if you will. Um, but, but what's Trump's ace in the hole? Is it, it declaring a national emergency? What is the emergency? right? I mean, that, that's, that's the issue that, that not only him, but Republicans rank and file are going to have to answer right. back to their constituents uh, about what this emergency is. i got to get to a break. But as we do,
1: I, I want you all to take a look uh, 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 for the, and for our TV audience at one of the other reasons that President Trump may have finally decided he better do something. Here's a, an animation that comes from 5:38 that shows in very clear terms what's happened to President Trump's popularity. It started on January 22nd, the day of the shutdown, and it moves day by day through and we keep going. It's dropping. It's dropping. It's down below 40 percent. And that's five thirty eights average of all of the national, major national polls. No wonder the president realizes he better regroup at this moment. All right. We've got a lot more to talk about, a lot of good state news to get to, but we're also going to talk a little bit to Bob Barr about about what he knows about impeachment. This is Political Rewind. We'll be right back. We're back. Um, I want to turn to you, uh, Bob Barr, former Congressman Bob Barr. You were uh, in the House When uh, the Monica Lewinsky story broke, when President uh, Clinton gave false testimony uh, uh, about his relationship with her, but even before the Lewinsky story came along, when you were looking at what you thought were uh, impeachable offenses related to his finances, you began uh, uh, suggesting that maybe this was a guy who deserved to be impeached before Lewinsky, yes?
4: Uh, long, several months before, right. uh, you know, early in 1997, uh, after the '96 election, there was uh, information, evidence that we started to accumulate. Several of us, uh, both through our our own work in the Congress and uh, the Government Reform and Oversight Committee, for example, and some outside groups, that some very serious campaign law and export law violations had uh, been had taken place by the Clinton-Gore team. Uh, don't need to go into a lot of detail unless everybody here would like to listen to me for another half an hour. But uh, uh, there were very serious uh, violations, and that was what gave rise to my filing an, an inquiry of impeachment, preliminary right. to articles of impeachment, in November of 1997. Yeah, I
1: think those of us who covered you in those days remember that quite well.
4: I yeah, believe. and uh, then everything everything went by the wayside uh, when the Monica Lewinsky story broke in, uh, in early 1998.
1: All right, so you became uh, one of the managers of the impeachment, and, and of course, in the long run, the impeachment, Clinton to this day remains one of the more popular American presidents. Uh, he survived, not only did he survive the trial in the Senate, but he regained his uh, standing with the American people as a, as a popular president, and in the long run, it was Republicans who suffered, Newt Gingrich more than almost anybody else. I suspect to some extent it had an impact on your career.
4: Well, it, it, it did, certainly, because uh, I, you know, they redistricted my, uh, yeah. my seat, my 7th District seat. Uh, and you know, the rest is history, as they say. So
1: what's the lesson then? that the Democrats who are agitating begin the impeachment proceedings against President Trump ought to learn from your experience.
4: To, to make sure of what you're doing, and don't just go off half cocked about something. Uh, even though the initi- the final grounds for the impeachment of Bill Clinton were obstruction and perjury, which are very appropriate grounds uh, on which to impeach a president we developed and laid before the American people and the Judiciary Committee very substantial, very specific elements of those offenses. Mm -hmm. We held extensive hearings. Uh, Thus far, I've seen none of that from from the Democrats. A lot of them seem to be waiting for some magical report from, uh, from Mueller. Uh, they may not ever even get it. Mueller's report doesn't go to the Congress. It goes to the attorney general. Mm. And my namesake, Bill Barr, presumably, will be the attorney general. But uh, Democrats, if they do, in fact, think that there have been serious violations of the law by a president in his capacity as president, I, I would add, then they should very methodically start developing that evidence. Don't just go off, you know, a la Maxine Waters, and start saying impeach, impeach, impeach without anything behind it. Okay,
0: okay. I've waited 20 years to ask you this. <laughs> <laughs> Is when you were considering impeachment, when you were proceeding with the in, impeachment, was there any vote counting on the Senate side? Because essentially, what happened was Senate was acquitted. Uh, Clinton was acquitted yeah. by the Senate. Right. So did did. Did you all go through the process of seeing whether you had the 60, I think it's what, uh, two-thirds,
4: 66 66 votes to impeach him? No, we never did a vote count because we knew that we didn't have the votes. I mean, the the Senate and the Republicans are senators, the same as Democrats. Mm -hmm. Uh, Senators never wanted to dirty their hands with an impeachment. They just didn't want to see it. And as a matter of fact, during our... Post impeachment, pretrial deliberations in the Judiciary Committee, the impeachment managers, occasionally, uh, periodically, Trent Lott would send an emissary over to the uh, to the House uh, to the impeachment managers, often Rick Santorum, trying to talk us out of doing something. They okay, never we, wanted to have okay, anything to do but if you, you with didn't
0: it. have the votes, why proceed?
4: because it is the right thing to do. As a prosecutor, for example, you don't not seek an indictment if you believe there is probable cause that a crime has been committed simply because you may not have the votes in a jury. I mean, you seek an indictment when you believe a crime has been committed. Michael, and that's you why we impeach.
5: I'm absolutely happy to hear them say that because that's the exact reason where there's smoke, there's fire. We should actually look in. The House should look into uh, all these things that uh, that Trump has done or allegedly done um, to see if there's impeachment is in order. Now, I do believe it's it's fair and right to wait for Mueller's report to come out and see what happens there. Uh, but if you look at all the indictments um, that that's came along thus far, um, and we now know about the Moscow. Hotel and everything else is happening. I mean, you know, the Constitution clearly lays out, right? I mean, any treason, robbery, any kind of high crimes. Uh, this very likely could fall within one of those areas. So I do think it's uh, completely within not only the the expectation but it's responsibility of the House um, to take a hard look at this and and see if impeachment orders are are in order.
1: One of the stories we have, there's so much happening today we haven't even mentioned yet. Roger Stone, oh. uh, one of the informal advisors to Donald Trump for a long, long time, and he wasn't just indicted. He had feds, something like almost two dozen feds, show up at his home in Fort Lauderdale at Pre-dawn hours, with, five minutes.
4: By coincidence, and the, CNN yes, was there.
1: And with a camera crew to capture it all, he was then uh uh he was rousted from his house, taken to a federal court building in Fort Lauderdale, apparently appeared before the judge, not only handcuffed, but wearing leg manacles, so they really made a very strong—they sent a message, uh, uh, if if not to others out there, to make it clear how they felt about him. And one of the lines in the indictment—people are still going through it— said that a high-level Trump campaign official had gone to Roger Stone and asked him if he could learn from WikiLeaks whether there was going to be more— uh, releases of material that could damage Hillary Clinton—that <clears throat> would be troubling if you were uh, working with the Trump uh, uh, campaign or maybe the Trump White House.
3: Well, well, I don't know what to read into it because I haven't read sure. the paperwork, obviously. Um, but. But Roger Stone has not been shy about talking about any of this, right? He's been on national <laughs> news outlets over and over and over again. This was probably something that he was not did not come as a surprise to him. It was a, more a matter of when than if he Maybe was going yeah, to get called in. Um, he has just, he's kind of changed a little bit on some of his remarks, even publicly. Not what he told to Congress, but even outside of of that context, some of his story has changed with regard to WikiLeaks. Um, And so I don't know that there was any surprise around what what happened today. Um, Why the FBI chose to handle it in this manner um, will be what we'll be learning in, in days to come. Trump uh, by
1: the way tweeted <laughs> just that he said that uh, sex traffickers and other felons have been treated better in arre-
0: being arrested than uh than uh, uh Stone was and and just the present- but but one, one note uh, CNN d- did say that uh that was uh, their tape was a result of a stakeout they had they had uh, People, yeah. uh, people. Well, they there. had
3: been staking out the grand jury apparently in Washington, and yeah. some things were not syncing up. They were seeing some unusual movement. There was some,
0: yeah, yeah. On Friday, and there was right. a there was a some a court hearing that was supposed to be scheduled on Friday was called yeah, I, w- I, I, will, predict- I
3: will say this about the stakeout in CNN. I mean, I know that a lot of people are making a lot about that, but as a reporter, when I worked for CNN, I stood in the cold an awful long time outside of courthouses and people's homes. But that's the and point. But that's what we mm-hmm. did. Right. That's you my know? point. And that
1: was you, so we got to be careful to suggest that more of all off. people tipping off a news organization, I, CNN, uh, enterprise the, journalism. The, the,
4: the, the FBI did it all, does it all the time, Bill. I mean, that's that's nothing new. And, you know, they're, they're masters at it. You um, know, yeah. Giuliani was a, a master of it. But if you read through the indictment, I've read through it, not in detail, but I've, I've read through it. Uh, there is this is, this is part of the problem whereby prosecutors can abuse our system. Uh, Mueller's charge is to go out and find a crime. Well, if you can't find a crime, what you do is you find people who have made an inconsistent statement, and heaven knows uh, Roger Stone uh, goes out there and makes statements all the time, I and mean, that's, that's what he does, that's what a lot of political operatives do. And being able to indict somebody under federal laws, uh, you know, a misleading statement for for heaven's sake, uh, on somebody like like Roger Stone. I mean, it's 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 easy to do that. I don't have all be, the charges in front of I don't have all of
1: the charges in front of me, unfortunately. But it is certainly more than just making misleading or no, that's that's all statements. that's all it is. Well, there are a number of charges. That-
4: yeah, there are a number of charges, but it's all the same thing. I mean, well, he said this then, and he said this that, you know, I think it's... Right.
1: I, we got to get
5: to a break. You get the last yeah, word before the say, break. It's, it's not anything new, right, with the FBI. I mean, you can go all back to Hoover, and and, and it's sometimes it's about shaping uh, some dialogue about some things. But, but the fact of the matter is there's been 34 people indicted or pled guilty thus far with the Mueller investigation. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Five of them or five or six of them has been Trump advisors directly, um, including Cohen and other folks. So, you know, as it starts to get closer and closer, you you know, it's very hard to say that that is a witch hunt because you know why? Witches don't exist. This there's meat to it. All right. We got to get to a break. We also when we
1: come back, we have some really interesting state news that we want to talk about as well. We'll do that with a panel in just a moment. Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. Loretta Laporte, I'm going to start with you, if I can, on this. Our new lieutenant governor, Jeff Duncan, in his first visit in his official capacity, went to a Christian school Uh in Atlanta and uh, took advantage of that opportunity to say he loves the tax uh, breaks, the subsidies that are now afforded to parents in Georgia if they want to send their kids to a private institution. And although he didn't specifically say he's going to push for an expansion in so many words, he made it clear he'd like to see that expanded and hopes the governor will work with him on that. Well, that's just going to open another can of worms,
3: <laughs> well, well, because
1: public educators well, are saying we need the money.
3: Well, no one should be surprised that he's supporting school choice. That shouldn't be, should be no surprise because he campaigned right. as a supporter of school right. choice. Um, and he has been a vocal supporter of the tax credit, the education tax credit, which in 2008 created what are called student scholarship organizations or SSOs, where individuals or companies can get a tax credit of varying amounts, um, which then go to schools um, and they can be designated to certain schools. And those and those. Uh, those funds have to be used for children um, who need financial assistance mm-hmm. to attend private school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is this has been around now since 2008, and the increments over the years have gone up and up. So most recently, it now stands for the year 2019 at $100, $100 million. Yeah. Um, it started at $58 million. And there are limitations, but when you hit that max, that's it. Um and so i 'm not sure what his inference is in terms of how to expand it, whether it 's a dollar amount, because I will tell you by the end of January that hundred million dollars will it's be gone. gone. Sure. It will already be declared um, that 's how popular the program is and There are a lot of children attending private schools and they have to have demonstrated that they have come out of an underperforming public school right They have to have been in the public school system. At least for some time before they can receive this assistance, and the amount of money that any child can get has to be commiserate commiserate with what a public school student is getting in a certain calendar year. So I don't know if he means that or if he means to broaden parameters somehow right. around the program. But,
0: and, and you and you and you 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 get the, into the argument uh, on the other side. Uh, are public educators who say that every dollar that doesn't that goes to a to a to a private school is a dollar taken away from a public school, uh, and and Bill, we, when when we were off air just a minute ago, just I reminded you that this was this is what got, uh, Casey Cagle's support for for this effort, the same effort that the Jeff, Jeff Duncan is pushing, is the thing that got, very thing that got him in trouble uh, during the governor's race, because he, uh, if you'll remember, uh, he he came uh, he crossed swords with Lindsey Tippins, a state senator who is a very big, a Republican and a very big advocate of public education. He didn't want this this legislation to move, to expand the credit. And what happened was that uh, Casey, Casey persuaded him to move the legislation as... Casey
1: said to Kippins, and he was recorded, of course, it was, it's a bad bill, I know that, but I've got to
0: go for it. Right. So he he so he he had Tippins move a a, a
5: vehicle yeah. that he used to yeah. to, to that end. And, and state Senator Lindsey Tippin's resigned, right from his chairmanship. his yes. chairmanship yeah. because of that.
1: Michael. You're talking about the, the the as Jim points out, the public educators are going to fight this any in expansion because they don't like it to begin with, tooth and nail because they of course say, look, we have so many underserved schools across the state of Georgia that are already struggling. We didn't. Nobody's uh, looking immediately, at least at. Uh, redoing the Quality Basic Education mm-hmm. Act, which could move funds into different school systems. So this is, a, you know, there could be quite a fight if, in fact, what ends up happening is there's an effort to expand the pool of money in the next fiscal budget.
5: I think it will be. And I think, uh, you know, those advocates for public education uh, are are justifiably so and going out and fighting for it.
1: You know, it's interesting, um, Bob. Uh, So it's to see how the Trump administration looks at this sort of effort to help private institutions, religious institutions, right next door in South Carolina, we have a situation where the administration has already weighed in and told a foster care agency which excludes LGBT uh, uh, families from and, and other non-Christians. And non-Christians, and non-Christians. I was going to can that. They, they can't come in and, 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 and get a foster child to take care of. And the administration has said, they're fine. They can still apply for federal—they can still receive federal funds. That's getting into a really dicey area, as it applies to any of the states out there, isn't it? Well,
4: it it does, but one wishes, or I guess I would wish, that, you know, we would focus on the quality and the substance and get away from, from the labels, what Teachers ought to be, and public school administrators ought to be looking at is not worrying about who gets 50 cents from this dollar and who gets 25 from that, but why are we having these problems in the first place? Why are not the children in our public schools getting the right kind of education? It's not just about money.
1: What is it about?
4: It's about parenting, it's about having parent teacher associations where parents are brought in, it's about having that family structure, it's about having mentoring programs. All of those sort of intangibles that have nothing whatsoever to do with the, the the mere dollars. You look at school systems in other parts of the country, for example, in many places in the Midwest, where the students score consistently far higher than in Atlanta and other major metropolitan areas, and yet those school systems spend maybe half or less a much, as much money on students as the city of Atlanta does.
5: It's going to you, you you can't simply say that because I have to look. Um, at where the money is going and what the money is being used for. But, you know, it, it's absolutely about money when, when there's no supplies for students, when teachers have to take money out of their pockets to buy schools, um, to buy supplies, when there's only three or four computers for 25 kids in a room. Um, you know, so you, you can't say that money is not an issue when it's, no, it's imperative. No, not it's, it's not an it, it is an issue. You're absolutely correct.
4: And there has to be a right balance. But uh, so often nowadays people focus solely on the money. Uh, and it's about all I'm saying is it's about a lot more than money.
1: I, it, I would agree there. It is uh, uh, true and, and I'd love to just make this a last point and move on Loretta that uh, that the state until the last legislative session we had not fully funded uh, the schools budget the quality basic education act for many years and this and the state. School systems are millions and millions and millions of dollars behind because of that. Now it'll be interesting to see what happens if full full funding continues.
3: Well, it's also interesting because it it is a bigger it is a bigger issue um because in that time that you reference where QBA was not funded, the school systems have changed. So even this week during appropriations hearings, the CFO for the state Department of Education talked about how f- how many fewer students there are, for example, in some of the rural districts. Mm-hmm. And then how right. those tax digests have been affected because about a third of them have less funds to work with. Yeah. And so it's a constantly changing dynamic and picture as the population and student need and enrollment changes.
1: All right. Uh, you know, uh, that's one controversial issue. Jim, uh, you, you all in the jolt, I think it was where I read this. Uh, said that the uh, Republicans in the legislature have been told by the leadership no controversial bills between now and the Super Bowl Hold them till afterward. So tougher abortion restrictions, religious liberty bill, carry your weapon without a permit anywhere you want to go. Forget about
0: it before the Super Bowl. But what hey, about w- afterwards? W- w- weren't you wondering why things were so quiet around here?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Look, we we, we are. It's uh, how many, we're, we're how many days from uh, February third? Close. We're yeah. we're, we're, clo- we're close. We're closing in on it. You're going to have uh, have pretty much. I mean, this is going to be the camera capital of 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 North yeah. America yeah. for for a, a weekend and change and they're looking for stories. Yeah. And uh the the thought in among Republic Republican leaders in the House and the Senate is Let's let's not give them the easy stuff. So
1: is the dam going to break after on oh, starting oh, yes. on February 4th? Oh, 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 yes. I think
5: so, no oh, yes. doubt. But I, I think this also speaks to the to the, to the fact of, you know, <clears throat> Georgia loves to pride ourselves on being the number one state for doing business in. Um, all these things have proven to be bad business or bad for business. Uh, so it's no surprise to me that, um, you know, it's kind of putting the, the kibosh on this for a little while until all the cameras are gone, until the limelight's kind of off. Because, you know, as as Jim said, these... You know, when you come into town for these, there's always the side stories, right? Sure. There's Always stories about the city, the feel-good stories, the controversial stories, um, and any of these are, will act as lightning rods, um, and unfortunately, uh, will shine Georgia in not so pleasant light to the rest of the country. It's, so you I think can we'll stay it, look;
0: it's it's it, uh, the, the Republican caucuses in both the House and the Senate have some very conservative members on it, and they do want their stuff. You can't persuade them not to file the bills, but you can persuade them. Just to hold off, just a little Bob, bit. Bob,
1: as a former Republican, a uh, libertarian candidate for president, when you look at these hot button issues, what's the libertarian position on this? Government stay out of it completely?
4: Well, to, to a large degree, yeah. Uh, but we don't live in a libertarian world. We don't live in a perfect world. Uh, we live in a world where there are, as Jim just mentioned, a lot of different viewpoints within each caucus, within the Democratic caucus in the, in the state and, and the Republican, the same as in the Congress. And negotiating your way through that is something that we need to have good leadership in both parties to do. Yeah. Right now in Washington, that's absent. I, yeah. We're doing better in Georgia.
1: So, speaking of good leadership, Jim Galloway, you and I have been uh, uh, talking uh, in the last couple weeks, ever since he was on our show, about uh, what a calm, reasoned, uh, sort of uh, cooling force David Ralston is, as Speaker of the Georgia House. Why did he... A point, Tommy Benton, one of the most controversial members of the Georgia House, a guy who has made comments about things like, well, the Civil War was not fought over slavery, the Ku Klux Klan was more like a business organization. Why did he give him a chairmanship? That doesn't seem like Ralston's.
0: The official uh, explanation is everybody deserves a second yeah, chance. Yeah, okay, but what's the behind that? Uh, behind that is that you, as, as Bob said, you've got, look, you've got. The House Republican Caucus is a conservative caucus, and every now and then, if 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 David Ralston wants to be reelected by that same caucus, mm. you have to give him something. Michael, what do you make? What do you think about
1: a guy who says the Civil War wasn't fought over slavery being elevated to a leadership position in the House? He's not your party, so clearly you're not going to love the guy. But <laughs> is there a bigger issue here, or is this really just sort of, you know?
5: Behind-the-scenes politics. I, I mean, it's uh, it's behind-the-scenes politics to some extent, but um, when 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 someone's known for making those comments, and and quite frankly, too, not just a one-off statement, a repetitive, continual. By the way, um, he is a he, former history teacher too. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, right. it's it's not like he's saying this out of context, like he doesn't understand it. It's been said enough time and enough scenarios to where um, he, he's putting it out there as as a matter of uh, you know, stating his his factual element of where he wants to be. The problem with me is if there's no atonement for that there's no um, understanding contextual element and and growth from that i mean i think we hold people on both sides of the party the same way i mean everyone slips up and deserves a second chance but second third fourth fifth is just who you are and how you see things and and that's not i don't think who democrat or republican wants to have in leadership all right it's well, a, there's an interesting
0: comparison to be uh, to be made uh, with with this fellow and steve king over in iowa Yes, yeah. I mean, it took yeah, him, but Steve King was censured. What Dropped after, from all of his committees after
1: how long, though? All right, you're right. All right, we're completely out of time uh, for today's show. Uh, Bob Barr, what a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'd love to have you back sometime. Look forward to it, Michael. That. You know we always uh, enjoy you, Loretta. You're yeah. uh, our Friday regular, and we appreciate that. And Galloway, I'll see you for a show again on Monday. Um, as we uh, close out today. And, and we can say how thankful I think we all are that the federal workers are going to get back to their jobs. It'll be interesting to see how quickly paychecks back paychecks can be cut. Right here in Atlanta, who's breathing the biggest side, size of relief? The local organizers of the Super Bowl. <laughs> 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 Looks like things might go a little better for them than they thought they would yesterday. I'm Bill Nygut. We'll see you for another Political Rewind on Monday at 2.